Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 86. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot here in Cincinnati, and we just learned the airport code for Louisville is SDF with Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? And then Mike, uh, Michael McLeod out in Philadelphia. Do we know your airport code? Uh, PHL. PX, is it really? PHX. PHX. It is PHL. Wow. His makes, makes sense. sense. Mine is CVG. Okay. I don't know why. Cincinnati something something. Oh, it's another wonderful day. Even though it's really in Kentucky. Science. I just had to throw it out there. Uh, it is. It's in Northern Kentucky. <laughs> we want to know what your airport codes are. Head over to our website. This is where we get to interact with you, speechsciencepodcast.com. Give us a phone call or a text message, 614-681-1798, or email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or interact with Michael and Michelle on the social media Instagram, hashtag SSPod. Guys, I've had such a weird, interesting last week and a half. I've quit a job, officially turned in my laptop. I've gone to orientation training where I fell in love with my new job. Uh, might be changing parishes for something other than if you Google Cincinnati, you'll figure that out. And then guess what I did an hour and a half before tonight's podcast? Played with the action figures in your room there. <laughs> no, but they are close to the monitor. Michael, what's your guess? I was going to guess playing with action figures. Also. Uh, yeah, no. So... Uh, Asha is in Orlando, and the Asha made the announcement a couple weeks ago that closing party is at Universal Studios. Uh, I believe it's sixty dollars for a four-hour pass with unlimited ride access to the front of the lines. And instead of doing that, I just booked reservations to build a lightsaber at Galaxy's Edge in Batu at Star Wars Land at Hollywood Studios, and booked droid making uh, as well. So while you guys are enjoying Hogwarts uh, and other Universal Studios things, I will be drinking blue milk 
making a lightsaber and connecting with Yoda through the force. So basically we were right. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the droid is not an action figure. It is a highly detailed robot. That is my, uh, translator in galaxy's edge. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, you got R2, but my R2 <laughs> will move and roll on its own and talk to the other. This robots. one too. Oh, well, okay. Whatever. Do you get, do you get CEUs for that? Well, for building a droid? For our listeners, no, unfortunately. I did not build the R2-D2 that I'm holding. I just purchased it for my husband. <laughs> you are a wonderful wife, as you should. Michael, we'll start with you in Philadelphia. Besides how awesome my week, how awesome has your week been? Uh, it's been a great week. I, I've met a bunch of new, uh, new clients this week, new families, uh, some other professionals, some other speech pathologists, and other clinicians from other from various different schools at different events. So yeah, it's been a, it's, it's been a really nice week. Uh, summer's kind of winding down and schools are starting to prep. So it's been, it's been good kind of traveling around the area and uh, kind of uh, meeting some new people. That is awesome. Michelle wintering down in beautiful, the bluegrass state. What's been going on with you this week? Uh, well, work-wise building my caseload. So doing a lot of, um, I think you muted me and then unmuted me. Sorry. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. I meant to mute myself. Right. I hit the wrong button. I'll start over. Um, Work-wise, I am building my caseload at the new job, which means doing a lot of evaluations and meeting families. I kind of love doing diagnostics when I get to meet new families and figure out you know, what we're going to be working on and, and what we can build on. And uh, hanging out with James, my son, Baby Speech Science, and trying to enjoy some last pool days of the summer when we can. Oh, that is the first time that we heard his name on air. It's not, because the last time I oh. said it, you said the same thing. Oh, really? Yep. I, re I remembered. Oh, well. Hi, James. Yeah, he's sleeping, hopefully. Oh, yeah. My, my two-and-a-half-year-old Andrew should be sleeping as well, but we know how that works out in speech therapy land. Coming up on today's show, I'm excited because I've got the bumper sticker, the car magnet sitting on my microphone. I got to sit down and interview the author of Sloths Are Slow. So that'll be our interview today. But we figured we'd kick it off with a couple interesting articles. We're going to talk about what does Delta do uh, for multiple language people. Uh, we have a research article from the Journal of Speech, Language, and Hearing Research uh, about how to improve reading comprehension in the primary grades and a amazing uh, story about a voice box reconstruction. But I thought we'd start off with a T-ball article. Uh, this is coming from the timesonline.com. The House passes the Doyle bill, which is authorizing $1 billion in autism funding. Uh, Doyle is a Democrat from Forest Hills, uh, and this is something that should be a T-ball funding issue, right? That it should be easy, is what you're saying. Right, that, that's what I was saying by T-ball. I mean, yeah, I, I'm glad that autism is getting the media attention that it is. You know, I think, I hope we see that for more and more things, so it's not I guess not just autism, right? We need funding for special right. education in general. 
Yeah, and and not only is it funding, uh, it's it's funding which is great, but it's not your typically you see funding from uh, these philanthropists and uh, billionaires kind of donating to these to these causes. But this is uh, this is a bill. This is uh, this is something that politicians are doing. So the fact that um, that they're they're willing to do this and and use uh, money towards towards this type of research, um, it from the, from the government is is huge. So I so hats off to these guys, uh, Doyle out in Allegheny County. Uh, I, I believe this is uh, a joint bill between mm-hmm. PA and New Jersey. I believe. Yep. So, uh, U.S. Representative Chris Smith from New Jersey, Republican. So there you go. This is this is exactly what we want and exactly what is needed. More funding, more research, so we can we can get some answers. So now I believe this will go over to the Senate to get approved over there in the graveyard of policies with Mitch McConnell. Uh, but uh, this is a reauthorization of the Autism Cares Act from 2014. Uh, it means $1 billion in funding over five years for the National Institutes of Health, uh, the CDC, and the Health Resources and Service Administration. Um, and it was supported by Autism Speaks, Autism Society of America, and the Association of University Centers on Disabilities and the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I, I like that Doyle said, you know, these programs have done a great deal. This is a quote. These programs have done a great deal to improve the lives of individuals with autism, but there is still much more that needs to be done and that this bill would help address some of the gaps that remain. So there you go. Exactly. And a lot of the funding from this bill will also go, go towards interventions and helping families and funding autism care professionals. So, of course, that means speech-language pathologists. So obviously, you know, a lot of the money of, of autism research goes towards learning more about causes and different and different areas, uh, different things we can do to possibly prevent it or learn about it. But a lot of the funding will also go towards interventions. And that's really seems to be the, uh, where a lot of the funding is going uh, to see what can be done once the diagnosis comes around. And and speech pathology is always core uh, to that team. So once you get that, uh, that diagnosis of autism, then you inst- you need to instantly start talking about speech therapy. I would love to see more research into the cause. So then that yep. way we can eliminate some of the misnomers that are out there. I'd also like to see ASHA step up and help push for some more funding in this area or in other areas. I love reading that we get bills passed but I would love to read where we are uh, pushing for stuff. And maybe this is where I reach out to Craig Coleman, uh, the incoming VP for that sort of stuff. And then in the future, he'll school us all on what ASHA is or isn't doing. Mm -hmm. And this is where you keep advocating to your state, right, Matt? Yeah, I'm working on something that I can't really go into great details on, but hopefully if everything works out well, we'll be making a big change at the state level uh, not just related to, to autism, but also at the speech and school-based SLP level as well. One thing I was thinking about, vague is but th- true, guys. Yeah, one Sorry. thing. I, one thing I was thinking about. That's this is this is kind of random, but uh, I would love to see some kind of research done on individuals with autism and kind of like their peripheral vision. Like I, I have hmm. so I have so many. Well, I I I don't want to say I have so many, but. I would say the majority of clients that I see with autism always seem to be kind of poking themselves in the sides of their eyes or 
looking off to like the side. There's always some sort of stimulation they get with like their peripheral vision. So that's that, that seems to be something that I'm like uh cuz there's it is a spectrum disorder. You you know, you everyone is their own unique individual and you you rarely see uh, a lot of common symptoms, but right. that's that's something I continue to see pass up and I would love to hear what you guys have experienced or other SLPs listeners hearing that if there's if they've ever noticed something with kind of the uh peripheral vision. Hmm. Huh. I'm a, I kind of want to reach out to some of my friends who work with the blind too because i know that that is always a when i was working at the colorado school for the deaf and the blind it was a concern with diagnosing a kid with autism because of there are some vision diagnosis that especially in young children can present with similar symptoms um to that might be red flagged as autism like symptoms but are not because it has to do with their vision diagnosis so that's just interesting that you're seeing this parallel with vision so they have to weed it out to see is it really autism or is it the vision of course yeah yep this feels like a dr meredith harold question that would be hopefully she listens to the episode i would love to hear her thoughts dr meredith harold is a is not a she is the informed slp they just had a really cool sale last week and i'm kicking myself because i went to sign up about an hour after it expired but what she does is she looks at research and breaks down research into easy to understand uh, language. So maybe she would be the one to help us. You know what? I'm going to email her right during the break and find out if she knows anything about that. Sounds good That's to me. That's a great idea. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Way to go, Matt. And if you have interest or input on what Michael said, make sure you reach out to us, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com and give us a phone call 614-681-1798. Or if you like Michelle and Michael, uh, find them on the Twitter, not the Twitter sphere, the Instagram sphere, uh, SSPod. Hashtag SSPod. Speech underscore science is our username. See, I sometimes pay attention to that. That's all right. I try to remember your spiel too. It doesn't always work. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So super cool story coming out of CNN. Uh, a two-year-old boy born without a larynx or an airway is the recipient of a historic voice box reconstruction. That's what they're saying on, on the title of the article. Uh, this is down in Memphis, Tennessee, performed the procedure uh, back in February, and it looks like he's doing pretty well. Can we find his SLP? I want to talk to him or her. <laughs> uh, since birth, he's had a tracheostomy, a hole in his throat uh, for breathing, and... This is so cool, guys. This is why I've said before, and in no disrespect to anything, but if we are on the forefront for disabilities, this is an area, the time frame, that if you have a disability, you may not have a disability in the next couple of years. This kind of stuff make is just so cool to read about. This kid is absolutely adorable, by the way. Oh, yes, adorable. And how, oh, I mean, just gosh. amazing what he's been through for this procedure and everything. Uh, his name is Cooper. Uh, back in May, he made a sound for the first time in his life. Michael, I know you don't have kids, but Michelle, do you remember the first time you heard baby speech science? Oh, his first cry? Heck yeah. Yeah, and I remember both Michael and Andrew's first cry. Not yours, Michael, but my Michael. <laughs> well, and then my little but guy had his cord know... wrapped, so it was delayed, and we were like, <laughs> oh, that no! first sound was was important. You remember my first cry. I honest. do. You do. But 
imagine that Michelle, you said you had a moment wait. Imagine that wait for two years yeah. to hear their first sound. That is just so cool. Mm-hmm. They said they've been waiting since day of birth for the surgery to happen. Uh, they built Cooper's voice box using two of his ribs. Um, that is so crazy, guys. Yeah, and he's going to continue to see surgeons every two weeks for more procedures to mold his new airway. Did you see that? Well, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and, and this is kind of where, um, I don't want to say it's like a designer voice, but this is where when working with a voice speech pathologist you've got to really understand how the vocal folds expand and you want to make sure that he gets the right little kid voice and then the right middle school voice and then eventually the right man voice. This is going to be something that I could see him working with the speech path uh, for years. Mm-hmm. How do we find this speech pathologist <laughs> and, and obviously the family before we can talk to them. But I just feel like this is such a unique case that there have got to be, especially the speech therapist whose voice is their specialty and working with kids with trachs. Um, this is like, this is the cutting edge of our science with it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like how Definitely. neat would that be to be hands on and see this little boy going through this? Well, and then this is also opens up the door. How does this change what we do from a therapy standpoint, uh, knowing that this is an option in the future, that we can rebuild a voice box? How many times have we had a cancer patient have their, I keep calling it a voice box because that's the title staring at me in my face, but how many times have we removed the thyroid? How many times have we removed that whole larynx for a cancer patient Mm -hmm. or, or you know, damage or trauma. And now we have seen that something can be rebuilt. I mean, I, this stuff is neat to see because we're hopefully if this goes, continues to go well for this little boy or with other cases, then it down the road, probably far down the road right now can become more common. And then we're looking at that's a a structural type change. So they're going to need therapy before, during and after that. Um, that surgery. I muted myself. I'm sorry. I just pulled up the, I'm going to share it with you guys here and we're going to do some fancy editing so everyone can hear this. Okay. Uh, here's a uh, little Cooper breathing and making a sound for the first time. Have you guys heard this one yet? Nope. Not yet. And Michelle, did you ask me, did you ask me a question that I didn't answer Michelle? No. Okay, good. Uh, Can you guys see this? Yep. For a family fearing the worst, this is the sound of a miracle. Two-year-old Cooper Kilburn blowing up a toy without the help of a machine. It seems so simple, but doctors weren't sure he'd ever do it. Cooper's mom and dad, Brooke and Brad, got into a bad car accident when she was 16 weeks pregnant with him. An ultrasound from her doctor in Adamsville, Tennessee, revealed something was wrong with Cooper's airway. But her doctor wasn't sure what it was and sure didn't know how to fix it. So they came to Lebanon here in Memphis. It became very apparent that there was no recognizable larynx. No way for their baby boy to talk or breathe. It's a rare condition that's usually fatal because it's so hard to diagnose. But Dr. Jerome Thompson caught it because he's trained for it. That allowed me to have an idea of what I was going to be dealing with. Dr. Thompson and his team performed a C-section. They left the umbilical cord attached. Tiny Cooper still tethered to his mom with a tube in his neck. 
There was equipment on every side of the bed. They implanted a tube in his throat, known as a trach. With that device and the help of a ventilator, Cooper would be able to breathe, but he still wouldn't have a voice, and he was still at risk. Eight out of every hundred children who are totally trach dependent uh, die. That's why two years later, Dr. Thompson performed another surgery. Using parts of Cooper's own ribs, the surgeon sculpted a voice box. The first time a procedure like that had ever been done. We you know, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. The new airway means this little two-year-old can eventually learn to talk and breathe without a ventilator. And right now, he only needs that at night. He should have a normal, active life. His parents forever grateful. It teaches you perseverance. One day, Cooper's going to be telling this, and we're not going to have to. Dr. Thompson says Cooper will always have the trach, but he'll be able to do most things, even play sports if he wants. Live in the Medical District, Andrew Ellison, WRG News, Channel 3. Whoa! That is amazing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I didn't know any of that story. Those guys are absolute geniuses, those doctors. Unbelievable. And they put that trach in him while he was still attached to his mom, like still attached oh to the umbilical my cord. Gosh. That, I mean, that's Crazy. That's incredible. Crazy. I'm going to leave as much of that into the show as I can, and then the rest of that will be linked uh, down below so that we don't break any copyright. I'm just like, wow, that is, crazy. That is so cool. That doctor okay. talked about it like it was no big deal. That's just insane. a quick, just a quick recap in case we aren't able to play the whole two minutes and you have to find the link, uh, and you're driving. Basically, the mom was involved in an accident when she was 16 weeks pregnant. They did an ultrasound on the baby, found out that he didn't have a larynx, contacted the children's hospital. Baby was born via C-section. As Michelle said, they left the umbilical cord attached to the baby and to the mom, put a trachea in. The doctor due two years later, he was going to build the larynx out of the boy's ribs and said the boy's going to live a normal life and only needs, uh, I guess, a ventilator at night and could play sports when he gets older. And uh, I mean, that. Uh, look at that though. She had a car accident, which caused the extra ultrasounds, which is why they caught this in utero. Wow. What a miracle. I mean, that last line of the article is so true that he's a miracle. There's no other way to put it. That's incredible. Amazing. That took a turn that I was Ooh. not expecting. I thought it was just going to be a, here's how they did it. Oh my gosh. Let's take a break. We want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Or give us a phone call in Columbus, 614-681-1798. Coming up after the break, I got an opportunity to sit down with Kim Marino, author of Sloths Are Slow, an interactive children's book. It is the favorite of the two-and-a-half-year-old in my house. You're listening to Speech Science. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people.
Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hott. Uh, today we are joined by the author of Sloths Are Slow, uh, Kimberly Marino, a speech and language pathologist. Kim, uh, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. You're welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, Kim, I have to ask, before we get into the book, you're a speech and language pathologist. Where do you serve and, and what population do you serve? Sure. So I live on Long Island. Um, I live in Miller Place, actually, which is on the north shore of Long Island. And I have been, this is my 25th year of work. And I primarily work with kids from birth to three, um, addressing feeding concerns. Oh. But I do, I do have a few older kids on my caseload. So I have some kids in the three to five range. And then the one little girl who I work with who is eight years old. But I primarily work with the little, little babies. And I'll get them. Uh, like if they were diagnosed with Down syndrome, I'll get them like right after birth. Stuff at the county that I live in is great about giving services. So if you're born with Down syndrome or a cleft palate, as soon as you come home from the hospital, uh, early intervention starts. Oh, wow. So it, it, yeah, it's really cool um, that Suffolk County gives great services for kids in need. So, um, but as I said, I primarily focus on feeding. So I do, um, I, I see kids on the spec on the autism spectrum who have feeding issues, sensory issues, uh, and that's kind of been my forte along with kids who have cleft, who are born with cleft palates. I give you all the credit in the world. I did a tour of duty in the preschool, and that's how I have to label it. I learned very quickly <laughs> that I am not a preschool SLP. I work in the high schools, middle schools, and with adults. So okay, I give you well, credit like. <laughs> Well, well, thank you very much. Well, I guess we all figure we all figure out where we uh where where we belong and where we have the most to offer, right? Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. So you're an SLP. You work with a pretty high risk population. Then Correct. you decided all of a sudden you're going to write this wonderful book, Sloths Are Slow. Uh, I say wonderful because my two year old is super picky, and he loved that book from beginning to end, and he still does. Where did you find the time to even? One, oh, I'm going to write a book. And then why slots? So it's kind of been something I was working on, I would say, for at least two years. I have four kids and my daughter, Katie, who's 16 now, she loves all animals and creatures, but specifically loves, really loves sloths. And one day I was going through my work stuff, like my books, and I was kind of organizing things. And I was reading the book. Um, all right, I'm not going to remember. There's a monster at the end of this book, that Sesame Street book with Grover. Yeah. And he, like, he, he, he doesn't want you to turn the page. And, and I was like, I love the interactive feature of that book. And I was like, you know, there really aren't many books out there where you actually interact with the book. And I was like, I should, I should write one. And then I thought about the sloth. I said, oh, I'm going to write one about a sloth since Katie really, my daughter's name is Katie, since she really likes sloths. And it kind of just stemmed from there. And, um, I hired an illustrator and then I hired a graphic designer and we kind of put it all together. The big piece for me though, um, is the fact that I give, and you'll see it in the book that I give a portion back to Gigi's Playhouse. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if you've heard of Gigi's Playhouse. They are all over, the, all over the United States. It's, um, an achievement center for individuals with Down syndrome. So there's, they're starting a chapter on Long Island, I believe in Patchogue, which is on the south shore of Long Island. And I have connected with the women on the board there 
who are trying to start, well, it will open up in the spring of, of 2020, but so a, a portion of my proceeds goes directly to that playhouse on Long Island to help them um, start up their organization. So I've always been about um, giving back. So I'm excited about the book, of course, just because I'm excited about the book, but I'm also <laughs> excited to help, to, to help uh, um, this organization. So that's, that's, that's a little bit of the background regarding Foster Slow. I, I love it. And and did you purposely, when you sat down to write it, uh, I noticed when I was reading with my, or actually when I was watching my wife read it with my son, that it almost works kind of like a screener book for, for some of the younger kids. Did you purposely sit down and say, oh, I want to attach or attack these SLP-like goals? Or was it, I just want to create an interactive book and, and, and such? I mean, I definitely, the goal was for it to be an interactive book, but then of course, being an SLP, <laughs> I decided it, and now, so my sister, um, Allie, she's an occupational therapist and I have a sister, Jen, she's a special ed teacher. So I thought about all the pieces of, let's say, cognition and fine motor and gross motor and how to, and speech, of course, and how to tap into all of the areas to make it fun and interactive, but also stimulating, you know, the, the, the various areas of development. So it was a comment. I did. I did think about that though when I was writing it. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I had my wife read it to my son, and I've kind of read through it with my kids, and uh, I was just amazed at how much my son was willing to participate in the book. Because sometimes we yeah. have some of those books, and I'm like, "Buddy, touch the the fur or the rough sandpaper," and he's like, "No." But this one. <laughs> But I'm this glad, one, I'm glad to, glad to hear that. Yeah, he just he bought into it 100. Uh, percent I love the artwork. It, it is such a a mixture of like a high end cartoon and more like a how do I say this? Like a kind of like it reminds me of Spider Man into the Spider Verse, where it's just a unique look. <laughs> cool, thank you. So I found the author, uh, the author, the uh, the artist on this this website called 5RR um, and you can go on there and you can find uh, illustrators, uh, somebody who's going to maybe write you a jingle, etc. So I wanted to include more information about her in the book because she just did such a fabulous job, but she only, she only wanted her name on the book and she didn't want any other information in reference to her in the really? book. So yeah, um, but she did, she did a great job and she was so excellent to coordinate with. Um, as I said, it took us about, two years to, to finish the whole the, the book um but she really worked very hard on it and and i love lento i mean she did such a great job um uh creating him and some yeah. people some people some people wondered why i named him lento so i i, I guess ev not everybody knows i mean i don't speak spanish fluently but i knew that lento meant slow in spanish so <laughs> oh does it really <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that's why i named him lento so. <laughs> i love that i did not know that at all um, okay, cool. <laughs> so how much research did you have to do for Sloss? Because I mean, when you when we connected through one of the Facebook groups, when right? you said, Oh, do you want to read the book before we talk on air? And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's fine. And like, in my brain, I'm going, Okay, what do I know about Sloss? They're slow. <laughs> right. And they eat bugs, maybe like that was the only thing I knew. How much did you did you have to go into just reading about sloths to create this book? You know, honestly, a lot of the information in the book I got from my daughter because she would, she'll watch 
anything on television that has to do with any sort of an animal. And she was very interested in sloths, as I said. So I got a lot of information from her. And then, of course, just did my own research to make sure, like, the fact that the sloth poops once a week, that actually is a true fact. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, sloths like to eat leaves, and there, this this story is about the three-toed sloth. There's also a two-toed sloth. I guess I could write a story about that, the two-toed sloth, and they're, they they have some habits that are different, and I, I don't remember anymore because I didn't do any research on the, the two-toed sloth, <laughs> but um, and they, they actually swim faster in water than they move on land. That's the true fact also. Do they really? And, yeah. <laughs> They're actually, it's more dangerous to, for them to crawl on land because they are so slow, so that they're at risk of a predator getting them, so. Ah. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, so yes, I did a, a bit of research just to make sure because I wanted the, I wanted the story to be interactive. I wanted it to be stimulating in reference to cognition, fine motor, and gross motor, but I also wanted it to be factual, so the, the listener was definitely learning something while, while hearing the story. Did you ever think that when you were going through school to become an SLP, that at one point in your life, you would be writing about sloth poop in a children's book? <laughs> no, I never did think that at all. <laughs> the poop page happens to be, of course, the kids, you know, because kids like to hear anything about poops or farts yes. or anything like that. So that's always the best page for the kids. My six-year-old was kind of into the book. Like he was like in and out, in and out. And then when the poop page came up, he loved it completely. And I'm yeah, like, of course. of course he does. That's the page <laughs> he would get on. Now, of course. for any SLPs that are out there that are like, oh man, I wish I could write a book. What was that process like? Just start from, from the very beginning to getting it published. Was it easy? Did you have to reach out to somebody or? You know what? The, um, the, the graphic designer slash editor I guess I would call her her name is Diana Gerlando which she actually happens to be my sister-in-law she was key for me because I wrote the I wrote the book um, I hired the illustrator so she was able to obviously il illustrate the pictures but my sister-in-law Diana then was able to take the text and the pictures and put it all together and I don't know how she did it and was able to follow obviously all of the guidelines that Amazon has because I published it through Amazon on KDP. Um, so I, I think I would have probably been stuck there if it wasn't for her because it's definitely confusing in reference to how you format the book, um, the edges of the book and how they look, which stuff that I couldn't speak to because it would be too confusing to me. So I feel like it was easy for me in the sense that she was such a good resource and I'm so glad that she was part of the team to help, you know, bring Lento to life. So, um, I, I think if you, ha you know, ha obviously hire a good illustrator and then help you with the, you need to find that next person. And it could be my sister-in-law, Diana Gerlando, <laughs> sister-in-law, Diana Gerlando, who I do, you know, make reference to, I think in the back of the book, just thanking her because really without her, it would not have happened. Well, the book is pretty awesome. And if anyone wants to pick it up, they can find it only on Amazon or where else? That's correct. Only on Amazon at this point. And, and any future ideas of mass printing or anything? I don't, I don't know. 
I mean, I'm really having fun. I'm, I'm having fun with it right now. So uh, between, uh, you know, I work full time. I'm married. I have four kids, and it, it's it's been exciting just to to watch people enjoy it, and it's been fun giving back to to Gigi's, as I said. So wherever it takes me, it takes me. And I also want to say that um, I know we talked about this a little bit. Uh, that the sto- the book itself was written in memory of Thomas Scully. Um, I never met Thomas. I became very friendly with his mom after he passed away. So I always tell her that I never met him and I'll never forget him. And she, she and her family really strive to keep his memory alive. So our community, the Miller Place community, has been really wonderful about keeping his memory alive and, and talking about him and letting Debbie, his mom, and the family know that he's somebody that will never be forgotten. So it's, I'm happy also that the, the book was written in his memory. That is awesome. And, and you can find more information over at, is it thomasscollyfoundation.org? That is correct. Yes, absolutely. We will have a link for that uh, in our show notes as well. Uh, Before we let you go, because you've been so gracious with your time, is there anything we didn't get to cover or anything that you want to uh, promote, websites, anywhere to find any more information? Let's just make sure also if you could put somewhere that you have a link there to GD's um, Playhouse.org slash Long Island. And could I just say a few more things about GD's and, and because it's so it's such a great organization and I'm excited to be connected with it. Go for um, it. Sure. Thank you. Um, Gigi's, as I said, is an achievement center and Gigi's provides free purposeful and therapeutic programs to enhance the lives of people with Down syndrome. So people to become part of Gigi's Playhouse will be, will have available to them lots of programs that are completely free. What makes it so incredible is that it will. It is run by volunteers. So once GGs is up and running here on Long Island, the people who will run it are volunteers trying to help spread, you know, the message that just because you have Down syndrome doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing everything else that you know that anybody else can. They have. Oh, wow. They're going to have social classes, cooking classes, support groups for families, literacy programs, yoga, speech and language programs, and like so many more things. So it's it's pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. That is awesome. So a good book that helps a good organization. That's always a good thing. Sure. Yep. Thank you. I agree. Well, Kim, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great night. You too. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined around the Midwest by Michelle Winter. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. And out in PA, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Hi, Michael. How are your Phillies? No, how are your Mets doing? Yankees. Yankees. How are your Yankees doing? They're doing great. They're in first place, running away with it. Dude, I just, the reason why I wanted to bring up a New York thing is I was going to try to transition anyway into I just found out that Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez are a couple. Yes, they are for quite, some, evidently, quite some time now. That, right. I was going to say, how's your Mets? Old Did news. you know that a Yankee guy? I know. I my That's what my wife said. I'm sorry. Old news. Don't they have like a joint nickname too of some sort? Alo? Probably. probably. J-Rod? Oh, probably J-Rod. Something. That makes yeah. sense. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about Delta Airlines and actually in a good light. But first, this is an article coming out of the Journal of Speech, Language and Hearing Research. Uh, 
an art that looks at improving reading comprehension in the primary grades. It's immediated effects of language focused classroom intervention. Uh, this is very similar to what we talked about last week about how to improve vocabulary. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're looking yeah. at the study that the conclusions where they found that provide it basically provided evidence that language focused intervention positively impacts students performance on language measures and it's aligned with the intervention and with indirect large effects on distal reading comprehension me measures this is a lot of words theoretically this study provides wow matt i, I lost that part there <laughs> welcome to my world when i try to, to abbreviate everything yep uh, basically, the more language we can teach, the better the reading comprehension becomes. And oh, Michael, I'm sorry. So, Matt, in the schools that you've worked at, who mm -hmm. handle who handles a lot of the literacy work? Um, I think it depends. I mean, so if we have a student that has reading comprehension as a goal that's been identified through the ETR, they will have a intervention specialist work with them and or a special ed teacher and they will work on reading and trying to get them i guess to i guess more of a fluency level um if it's a language part of it i will also work with them and then i will give them different articles around their reading level trying to build that world knowledge base that we've talked about so is it slps doing the reading comprehension intervention it's kind of a battle in our like in my old district. Yeah, I because think that's, I think that's kind of how it is at most districts now. I think there's yeah. a lot of quote unquote reading specialists, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of special educators doing this uh, this this reading intervention. But I, I really feel like uh, SLPs should be more involved, if not completely uh, running the entire show. But of course, there's a lot of uh, you know. Uh, bureaucracy and a lot of caseload caps and a lot of issues in terms of uh, putting more on the SLP's plate. But with all of our intense knowledge and training in terms of uh, literacy and reading comprehension and phonological awareness, mm -hmm. I really feel like this should really be more and more under our umbrella and uh, our umbrella only. But uh, of, cor of, co of course, I'm biased. Well, and I now you're making me want to like find a literacy reading education specialist to interview because I want to know more because I know some of them have master's degree and reading and literacy specialist sort of certificates. So I don't, you know, I don't know if that's across the board at all school districts, like what is required to be a reading and literacy specialist. I'm moving to a new school district. So anything I say is based off of previous history and does not impact or reflect the behaviors or thoughts or anything of my current school district. But in the past, what the way it broke down was if it was more of a phonological issue, like, and I'm at the high school, if it was an issue of being able to read, not like a reading fluency, that would be more of the intervention specialist or the reading specialist. If it was an inability to understand what was being presented um, and, and inability to identify characters or main ideas that was going to be on me, if that makes sense. It does. So we tried to split it up. So that way we both weren't hitting the same thing and we could both work together. And I took that idea of being able to break down the, the written word by the language, because that was my more expertise. And the teacher was able to teach better fluency skills because that was her expertise. 
going to a new district, I have no idea how that's going to work. Mm-hmm. And I know when so. I was at um, the school in Colorado, it was a little bit unique just because we had a an ASL teacher, for example, for the students who were deaf because you're dealing with the dual language piece who then she often worked with reading, but then there was a reading specialist position. And then we as speech pathologists advocated for our role in that too, of, um, for the, for the kids with reading and writing. But you know what though? I like it. I like the article. I like the journal because it says, guess what? Teach more language, improve reading comprehension. That's something we've been saying all along. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to something, Michael, you and I've talked about in the past where, Instead of working directly on that, you know, if they're reading Romeo and Juliet, you give them other real world examples that are similar to Romeo and Juliet to help them build the understanding of what's happening in that book, for example. Uh, well, and another shout out for uh, Ohio, Matt. This is from Ohio State, I believe. Ooh. Look at that. We're just awesome. <laughs> We want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. I thought we'd end on a happy note today, and this, Michelle, you sent it over. Uh, they have little badges underneath their air. Delta uh, has little badges that says, I speak French or Portuguese or English. Uh, now they're adding American Sign Language. And it looks like I think they're adding American Sign Language or if there's a flight attendant or staff member who knows another sign language, like French Sign Language. Ah, fair enough. Mm -hmm. So pretty cool. I just think it's kind of cool. I I think it's cool. Inclusion. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And the fact that why not let someone who's in a job that might not necessarily use that second language of theirs Mm -hmm. to kind of show that off and hopefully because of it have have opportunities to utilize it. Michael, whatever, do you... Whatever happened to those uh, those gloves that turned sign language into speech? Remember that? I think those were a f- hoax, I thought. Were they really? Really? That needs to become real. Aw. I remember that hearing would... that too, but I never looked into it further. Why would someone make that a hoax? That's the dumbest thing ever. Uh, let's see. Uh... Oh, wait. Maybe not. Maybe this is a real thing. I thought it was a real thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is a real thing. You had me worried there, man. Yeah, okay. So some of it doesn't work. That's what it is. They haven't perfected it yet. Well, obviously that makes sense. Yeah, but if that's ever able to be perfected and become usable, that would be life-changing. Mm-hmm. That'd be Fair huge. Enough. That'd be absolutely huge. Hey, I'm just all for making it so that our students that we work with as they get older they don't feel like a third wheel they just Mm -hmm. feel like it's a it's a thing like oh i use sign language oh i have autism and did you see that video where the principal asked everyone to be quiet so the kid with autism could walk up on stage get his diploma and get off stage and everyone kind of either did the sign language clap or the golf clap Mm -hmm. so the so the kid didn't have a, a moment uh, a negative moment. He was able to have his positive moment and, and get his and diploma get his stuff. on the stage. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. Guys, let's leave on a good note before we find any bad news about anything else. Let's send this puppy home. Michael McLeod, next week, what are you doing? 
Um, pretty much just uh, just continuing to, uh, to to network in the community, do a lot of outreach uh, with some different schools and pediatricians and different professionals. Lots of evals as uh, IEP uh, season's coming up, uh, getting ready for the school year. So I'll be doing a lot of traveling to different schools. Uh, yeah, just really, uh, we're pretty much in the home stretch of summer here. I know, that's terrible. I don't want it to end. Michelle, what are you doing as summer ends? We have both sets of grandparents, my son's grandparents. So my in-laws and my parents coming in this weekend. It'll be a busy but fun weekend. Oh, it's like Meet the Fockers Part 2. Yeah, they've met, so it's all good. I know, but it could be fun. There's a cat that flushes the toilet. Yeah, if, and then if only my cat ensues. the toilet. But the baby does know some signs, so there you go. <laughs> For me, my summer ends on Monday. Uh, that is the first day of uh, back-to-school professional development. And then the students arrive on Wednesday, and then it'll be the mad rush to Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, spring break, and then summer break. Yep, every break. Just right. Map it out. There you go. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I do this, but I may on every calendar count backwards every day until I get a break. Just saying. You should. I know. Our intro music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock by John Deku. You can find his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. And our closing music is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, be a willow. In the storm of life, you'll want to be an oak, but the oaks crack under pressure. It's better to be the willow. Bend, adapt, and change, and go back to form and ride out the storm. For Michelle Wintering and Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot saying so long, everybody. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.